Welcome to Into the Mothlight, a podcast dedicated to artists' moving image, experimental film, festivals, curation and installation art. Kim Knowles has been writing and teaching about experimental film for over 15 years and currently lectures in alternative and experimental film at Aberystwyth University in Wales. She creates the Black Box Strand of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, a programme described as daring, challenging, uncompromising and thought-provoking, with short and feature-length experimental and artist films from around the world. Kim's latest book, Experimental Film and Photochemical Practices, has just been published. In it, she argues for the continued relevance of material engagement for opening up alternative ways of seeing and sensing the world. The book sketches out the contours of a photochemical renaissance driven by collective passion, creative resistance and artistic reinvention. It opens with Kim recounting the moment at a festival at the Filmhouse in Edinburgh where her interest in watching 60mm films projected was ignited. But we start with her first encounter with the genre and the beginning of her journey into experimental film. Into the Mothlight. I was studying um, my Masters in European Film Studies. I hadn't actually encountered experimental film before then, and we had just this one session on um, the early avant-garde of the 1920s, and uh, I was fairly um, perplexed by it all. And, uh, and then we were shown this film, it's uh, René Clair's Entracte from uh, 1924, and I was just absolutely blown away by it. So the previous films had left me a bit cold, like Hans Richter's work and Viking Egling, work, works that I can, um, I learned to appreciate and I can appreciate them now. But um, it was uh, René Clair's Entracte that, that really got me excited about um, experimental cinema. So my first turning point was um, was this encounter with uh, René Clair's Entracte, which I think I credit that film with um, the journey that I then subsequently took as, a, as an academic. I, everything I wrote from then on was um, about experimental cinema. I wrote my, my PhD on 1920s avant-garde, which um, then turned into a book. It's uh, a cinematic artist, the films of Man Ray. So that was the first turning point that, that, um, that turned into uh, my first book. And then, yeah, the second turning point was um, really the, the start of my journey into contemporary experimental film. So I'd, I'd had this long period of studying the historical avant-garde and um, I promised myself that once I'd uh, finished that, that PhD and that book, I would you know, take myself away from, from that historical period and, and go more into the contemporary. I was actually living in Paris for a few years while I was doing my PhD and I was seeing um, lots of experimental film screenings. That's where I got my education really in experimental, in experimental, contemporary experimental cinema. And um, I came back 
to, to the UK and, and started teaching at Edinburgh University. And I realised that um, there wasn't an awful lot going on in terms of experimental, experimental film screenings. And uh, so I decided to set up my own uh, little film festival. So I got some money from Edinburgh University and from what was then Scottish Screen and set up this festival, um, Diversions. As I say in my book, it was one of my students, um, Teal, who had been studying with a group of filmmakers in, in New York, the new school in New York. And um, she introduced me to the films of M.M. Sarah, uh, Jean Iliotta, uh, Jen, um, Jen, Jennifer Reeves, Joel Schlemowitz. Um, they all feature somehow uh, in, in the book. And uh, so I saw this film Loretta, but I saw it on DVD, and yeah, it was it was interesting. I recognised it as a as an interesting film, but it was only in the actual projection of the sixteen millimeter print that the film completely moved me. And it's quite a moving film, you know. It uses music in quite a, an emotive way, um, and it's very um, very expressive and, and very colourful and. It wasn't so much the necessarily sort of the images, the content, what it was representing, but more what it meant in, in what it suggested to me in terms of a film that was about film. And these are questions that I hadn't really been thinking about uh, up until that point. And it, it was being in the cinema space, and this is so central to, the, to what I talk about in the book, actually, it was being in the cinema space, that's Cinema 3 in, in Filmhouse Cinema that I know so well from many years of present, presenting screenings in there, and being completely immersed and just um, swept away by this um, incredibly colourful and dense um, tactile film. And it moved me physically. I, I really felt it in my body, and that's when I started to become interested in um, sensory film theory and theories of em embodiment, you know, film spectatorship that touch on the, the haptic image. And a lot of things came together for me intellectually and, um, and uh, physically from that one film. I'm not sure that, I mean, I know that Jeannie, uh, I've talked to her about how that film impacted on me, but I don't think sh she quite um, would understand the, the complexity of it. And it's that film that really made me um, get interested in um, contemporary photochemical film, but then also the historical locatedness of that uh, in um, particularly the uh, films coming out of the London Filmmakers Co-op, but also, you know, Paul Sharitz and Caroline Schneeman, the, the filmmakers that I talk about in, in the book. I think there is something addictive about that physical reaction to to a, a strong work like that, especially when it has been projected live on sixty millimeter in the right kind of space with the right kind of people. And going going back to the the time that you spent in Paris, because um, that's obviously really in, informed your interest in experimental films. So was there work that you that, that stood out or, or, or stayed with you that you saw in your time over there that you know, informed your taste in experimental film up to now? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a bit of a blur, to be honest, because it's, um, it's over 10 years ago now. Um, I was going to a lot of screenings at um, Lightcone, the distributor in Paris, um, 
And I remember, I think it was one of the anniversary screenings, I can't remember which one, but they did a, a series of screenings in um, the Centre Pompidou. Um, it's hard to locate it, actually. I mean, I became aware of, like, Pip Chodorov um, and people like Frédéric DeVoe, um, but felt, like, quite outside of that, that experimental community. Um, and I think it's, I wouldn't really be able to identify as clearly as I can with, with those two other turning points, um, a particular film or set of films that, that influenced me. I just felt, I was reading a lot at, at the time as well. Um, I mean, I was writing my PhD on, on the 1920s and Man Ray, so I was reading a lot about the legacy or, you know, the importance of, of Paris uh, as a, as a centre of, of avant-garde filmmaking. But I was also reading a lot around um, more contemporary historical, uh, sorry, more contemporary developments in the history of um, of avant-garde film. And so I think there were, it was just like a, a big kind of melting pot of, of screenings, of readings, of just like the culture of being in Paris and having um, a lot more access to um, to those kinds of things, you know, the um, the cinema culture is 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 very different, you know. It's not like you in Paris. It's not like you you kind of you look at the the screening program and decide what to see. You you decide what to see and see where you have a look to see what cinema might be showing it, or at least that's how it it was, um, or at least that's my memory of it um, when I was when I was living there. I think um, I became really interested in or perhaps this is a, a more recent development since coming back from Paris but I did become very interested in structural film Paul Charrett's Michael Snow you know really minimalist but then also um, quite uh, intense uh, flicker film so Paul, Paul Charrett's was was really quite I mean I think at one point I'd uh, in in the past I wondered if I might write something about Paul Charrett's um, that must have been pre uh, Jeannie Liotta's <laughs> Loretta. And at what point did you decide that you wanted to share your tastes in experimental film with, with the wider public and, and take that step into being a programmer? It was the coming back from Paris, um, being in the UK. I can't say that I was really um, thrilled to come back to the UK. I didn't. Um, really want my experience in Paris to end and so I sort of reluctantly came back even though I had a, a sort of nice temporary job at Edinburgh University I was sad to leave Paris and I, what I left behind was this um, you know really rich culture of film of, of all kinds and that that included experimental film and and I realized that there weren't that many opportunities in in the UK or you know where I was in Edinburgh to continue that that kind of journey, that education that I was getting. It really sort of chance coming together of, of different things. So I, I was working in, uh, at Edinburgh University and there was a call for um, funding for, for projects, um, development funding. I decided that I would go for that and uh, set up a small film festival. And as is often the case with these kinds of things, you, you put in the funding and um, you write the application, but you you don't ever really imagine that you're going to be in a position. You fantasize, you know, you project and you think, yeah, I would do this and this and this. But then there's always that sort of um, 
overriding feeling of, well, I won't get it anyway. And um, so it all stays fairly theoretical. But then I got the money and um, it's going back a bit, but I, uh, yeah, I got this top-up grant from Scottish Screen as well. So I ended up with quite a substantial amount of money um, and um, yeah, set up this this um, diversions film festival and and what it, what I it's it's interesting that you um, that you talk about the the sharing because it was very much for me about communicating because I realised already back then that I had this passion for a particular field of practice that I um, recognised was pretty marginal and I sort of worked out that I was. I was heading into a field as an academic that was not very well known, <laughs> that, you know, it was quite sort of obscure to many people. And I think I wanted to um, break down some of the barriers between that work and um, a, a general audience. So not that I had any kind of fantasies of, of um, making experimental film popular and getting vast audiences but I did think that I had some kind of educational responsibility with that with that festival so the screenings were sort of organized around this like educational impulse the the the, the very first screening that we did was actually Pip Chodorov um, presenting I think we called it something like who's afraid of the avant-garde it was about sort of de demystifying and, and breaking down barriers the Black Box Strand at the Edinburgh International Film Festival. So I, I guess that's maybe about 12 years you've been doing that now. And Edinburgh International Film Festival, it's a massive event. So how, how vital is it that experimental film, and in particular, maybe even workshop and presented on, on celluloid, are included for that ongoing education uh, of people over and above all the Hollywood stuff that happens within that festival so i got i got into the um curating the black box because i was um regularly coming when i was living in paris i was coming back to the uk because um i was having a relationship with someone that was based in edinburgh so i was doing this touring and throwing and i i made a point of coming back for the the film festival every year and um, I noticed that they had, it used to be called Persistence of Vision um, and then it, it changed names to Black Box and um, I was kind of keeping an eye on it for a few years, like really interested because that seemed to me like the only, the only one of the few places that I could see this kind of work. And I noticed that it was showing work that was um, marginal, um, but not what I understood to be um, experimental. It, it seemed for a couple of years to be having a bit of an identity crisis and I wasn't sure where it was going. And um, I felt that it probably needed some curatorial um, identity. And so I put myself forward for um, curating it, even though I didn't really, beyond the Diversions Film Festival, I didn't have an awful lot of, of experience, but it was that sort of, you know, educational and sharing um, drive that I had. And that became a, a really important position for me because it was, as you say, this, um, you know, working within a, a very um, otherwise commercial film festival. 
and providing the opportunity for, for people to see work that they might never have encountered before um, and, you know, perhaps never after either. That really developed my um, approach to, to communicating um, about experimental film and um, it became a little bit sort of polemical for me as well. So gradually over the years, it became much more about making it, making a statement. You know, um, Laura Marks um, has this, has written this really interesting article. It's called The Ethical Presenter. And it's about, it's about curating. And in that article, she talks about how the curator should be kind of, or, or can in that position, be making an argument. And uh, so the films are not just like, you know, here's a, a load of films that, all are dealing with this particular theme, um, but the, the curator actually takes up a, a position. I'd say like several years in, into me curating Black Box, it became a lot more about me saying something through those films. Being an academic and a curator as well, it's quite a, a special position to be in because um, I, a lot of the things, the academic texts that I was reading, so with each new kind of, um, research uh, phase with each new research um, area that I that I went into I found myself consciously or unconsciously feeding that into the um, to the curating process so if if you were to sat down I mean of course no one's going to do that because you know it's kind of why would they but if you sat down and kind of looked at my academic work and how it's sort of um, developed over the past 10 years and then looked at my um, curatorial practice you can see resonances um, across the things that I'm writing and the things that I'm curating. So the ideas that I'm reading and, and, um, and uh, processing in relation to my research kind of come out in the films that I've selected and um, the programmes that I'm putting together and the things that I'm talking about. So it's, um, I always say that um, my academic work and my, my curatorial work, they couldn't really exist uh, in isolation. So there, my, my academic work is really influenced by my curatorial work and, and, and vice versa. In a way, that's what has made that um, black box section um, appealing to some people because you get taken on a, on a sort of thematic journey that's about thinking through ideas, allowing those films to, to um, allowing space between the films for a kind of dialogue to happen where you're, um, you're on a sort of intellectual journey as well as a, you know, it could be an embodied journey as well. But I, I'm really interested in, in kind of making, um, in making audiences think, um, not just, you know, watching films. In a way, it's become like a, a little niche area within the, the broader festival. And you could say that sometimes it sits a little bit awkwardly in the, in the, in the festival. Well, I guess strands, um, specific strands sometimes do, particularly if you have like a, a quite a commercial festival that's, that's focused very much on, on more mainstream filmmaking and then you have this 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 really um, small section that's about like really intense films and um, quite difficult films where you have to really kind of work hard as an audience and um, I think that's that's part of its identity really.
Into the Moth Light. Into the Moth Light podcast. I'm lucky in that I'm uh, part of a, a screening team for an experimental film festival in, in America. And at the moment, um, I'm seeing a lot of um, pandemic films, for example, and a lot of films where people are using found footage if they're locked in perhaps that that's the way and and in your book you do talk about art and politics um and obviously this year has been dominated by by brexit and covid19 and the american uh, elections when you start to look at films for the festival for next year what will you be looking for in terms of um you know themes that will tie into what you want to say to reflect on this last year it's interesting that you um, that you bring up the relationship between art and politics because it's it's something that that definitely does come into that book. But I always I always say that it's um, you know I'm I'm interested in in politics. It's more like a kind of materialist politics, or mm-hmm. how would I describe it? I do describe it as politics with a small p. So <laughs> the films that I talk about in the book are not political in an overt sense. Most of them are not dealing with with political issues explicitly, but I see the um, the aesthetics and the approach to the material as a as a sort of politics of vision or a politics of, of representation. So my my take on politics is really about um, changing the way that we going back to the basic fundamental way that we see and interact with the world and um, you know I really truly believe that politics starts with with vision it starts with representation it starts with how we see it starts with how we um, experience physically in an embodied way the world outside and that's that's where I think experimental cinema has a a, a really important role to play and and um, where experimental cinema has has value where people perhaps don't always see it it's in the um, the transformation of the of the way that we um, interact with and, and see the world, and um, that that for me is a more interesting politics than you know the kind of um, more like Marxist politics that say Peter Goodall was was talking about uh, in in the nineteen sixties. Um, but going back to your question of um, you know what would I be what would I be looking for? I guess I never start out with an idea of what I'm looking for when I start the selections. Um, what I'm looking for is is um, of course I'm I'm sure that we'll encounter all kinds of um, films about the pandemic and and that's great. But um, I certainly wouldn't start the 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 viewing process by looking for films, interesting films about the pandemic. Um, what I always want from a film is to be is to be surprised, to be moved, to be challenged. I want to see something that I've not seen before or something that I've seen before, but doing it in, in a slightly different way. I want every film to to surprise me or do something to me. And a lot of films that I watch don't. They do quite the opposite, actually. The themes emerge from that, really. It, they, the themes emerge from what the films trigger in me. 
and um, what ideas are circulating in my head at that particular time and and how the, the films sort of tap into those ideas and, and, and dialogue with them. Um, it might be that I start the viewing process and I'm I'm researching, you know, environmental politics and a lot of experimental films in the past few years have um, focused on environmental issues um, directly or indirectly or have tapped into um, uh, ecology or e ecological thinking and that's that's been really nice in the past few years that I haven't had to go looking for those films they've just sort of appeared and and start uh, talking to um, to me in this sort of intellectual way but it's really quite a chance process as as you probably know that you when you start the viewing process you don't always know what is um, is going to come out of the mix um, it might just be one film that really changes you and really gets you thinking about a particular idea that perhaps you hadn't thought about in that way before. Um, and then other films, once you're, once you're sort of zoned into that idea, other films start speaking to it, even if that film isn't overtly about that particular issue. I think it's also necessary to say that a lot of the themes that I work with are a little bit fuzzy around the edges. So I hate to work with themes that are really clear cut, like, uh, it's not that I haven't programmed to these kinds of themes before, but like landscapes or urban. I have um, curated a, a, a screening before called Cityscape, so, you know, perspectives on the city. I, I like those themes kind of less and less now. I like the themes that are a little bit um, troublesome, films that, that fit together but then don't quite... <laughs> The connections between them are sort of um, a little bit uh, hazy. Um, the audience has to sort of work to make the the connections. So the way that they the way that they relate to the theme of the program is not always immediately evident, but it becomes evident, I hope, towards the end of the um, towards the end of the program. So I never start out with a, with an idea like, oh, I'm going to put together a programme of films on the pandemic. I know that there are a lot of filmmakers who listen to this podcast, that um, experimental filmmakers, and it's really interesting as a filmmaker myself to, to, to hear your thought processes around um, curation and that idea of looking for something really special and unique or a, a really unusual take on the kinds of things that we maybe see a lot of. What turns you off as a programmer? What, what's a, a, what kind of kills a film um, for you when you're you know, screening submissions, for example? Well, I don't like narrative. <laughs> I mean, that it's not that I don't like narrative generally. It's... Um, I like films that, that play with narrative. I have programmed films in the past that have um, been quite surprising. People have, have been, um, yeah, surprised to see it in the programme because they go, wow, this is quite unusual for you, Kim. It's got an actual narrative. Um, I like films that, that really play around with the idea of storytelling, but I'm, I'm not interested in generally in, straight, in straightforward narratives. So I think... Um, this is a thing that I see quite a lot in experimental film submissions, uh, 
is that filmmakers send in films that are essentially quite conventional in terms of the story that, that they're telling, but they use some unusual camera techniques or, um, you know, filters, or there's a little twist in the story, or it's a bit dreamlike. And that turns me off uh, immediately. Um, if I see that it's a if it, it, that it's a narrative film that it's trying to tell a story, it already doesn't interest me. And likewise, I think um, I don't. I guess on the other side of that, I don't like films that um, are trying too hard to be experimental. If that makes sense, I'm sure that uh, filmmakers listening to this would be like, "What? It's just impossible to to find the right balance, isn't it?" She doesn't like narrative, but she also doesn't like kind of experimental. The films that I program, it's almost like they come about intuitively. So a lot of the films that I'm I'm drawn to, they tap into something almost kind of, um, it's, it's, it's more an embodied thing than a cognitive thing. You know, it's quite, it's quite primal. I always say that I know a good experimental film when I see it, but I'm not really able to, to sort of articulate what that is. Um, but I see it a lot in the films that I programme for the film festival. And it's a sort of, um, it's an instinctive working with the, with the body, working, they're very subjective films. And so I think what I'm trying to say is, it's not the technique necessarily that interests me. It's not, you know, being um, radical with a particular technique or using the camera in a particular way. I think what I'm trying to say is that I hate gimmicky films that start with a technique. I always want there to be something else. It has to be more than, than an aesthetic or a technique. I'm always asking, and I always ask my students to think about this, you know, I'm always asking what, what, it, what's going on here? What's the idea? What is this supposed to be making me feel? And where is it taking me? What what kind of journey is it is it taking me on? Um, and usually the films that, that touch me are the ones that make me have an actual experience where I'm not actually thinking, wow, that's an interesting camera movement or hmm, that's some kind of funky editing going on there. Uh, I'm almost unaware of the of the technique on a first viewing because I'm so involved in in where the filmmaker's taking me. If if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. That's a great answer. Thank you. Let's talk about your book. So, Experimental Film and Photochemical Practices, it argues for the continued relevance of material engagement for opening up alternative ways of seeing and sensing the world. Why the need to write this book now? Oh, that's a, that's a, um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I've been, actually been writing this book. I started uh, writing this book uh, in my head shortly after this encounter with uh, Jeannie's film Loretta and I wrote um, a couple of um, I was giving conference papers on on Loretta for a couple of years um, and playing around with what that film was kind of stimulating for me 
and originally I was working with ideas of memory and mourning and um, nostalgia and then it became much more the the more films I um, I started to encounter that were working with photochemical film it became a lot more about the aesthetics of materiality um, but I became quite a militant defender of photochemical film so this is really this was at the point where people were talking quite a lot about the death of death of film or the death of cinema you know it was sort of um, 2008 I think 2009 I found myself like having quite a lot of arguments with people um, about continuing to use film when film was dead and you know why would you do that because it's just fetishistic and nostalgic and you know it's 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 really kind of harking back to another way of making films it's sort of over move on you know as Tasta Dean says you know the amount of times that she's been told to kind of you know move on and um and um you know just not hold on to a, 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 a technology from a, a different era. I started to feel quite defensive about film, even though I'm not a filmmaker. Um, I felt very strongly that, I guess going back to my reaction to to um, Gina Liotta's film in, um, in that, that screening back in 2008, I really had a, a, a deep investment in um, in photochemical um, practices and and the kinds of um, experiences that one um, that one has whilst watching a film projected on film that draws attention to film, and I was really struggling with ways to articulate that that wouldn't fall into the trap of nostalgia and, and fetishism. And so I was chewing over um, a lot of theoretical ideas around um, nostalgia, Svetlana Boim's uh, future of nostalgia. She talks about restorative and reflective nostalgia. That was really influential for me. I really spent several years trying to get to the bottom of why I was so attached to this medium. And... Um, and I still, I'm not, still not sure that I, that I got to the bottom of it. I'm still not sure that I've um, found the, the reason for such a, an investment. Um, but I knew that it was something really important to me. And I, so I wanted to write this book as a, as a kind of defence of a, a field of practice that I saw as um, hugely valuable for, for many reasons, um, but massively under threat. And the more I spoke to filmmakers, um, the more I felt the urgency to write a book um, that was specific, specifically about that area. And also even more so because what I was seeing around that time was um, lots and lots of books coming out on new technology, um, digital culture, um, digital this, new that. Um, you know, another influential text um, was Charles Ackland's Residual Media. It's a collection of essays that um, he prefaces with an introduction um, that sort of sets out this position of, of um, defending the old um, and not just always sort of jumping on the new. And um, he, he really argues 
quite convincingly, I, I think, that, um, yeah, as he says, an inappropriate amount of energy has, has, been, has been spent on um, defending the new and focusing on the new um, at the expense of the old and um, understanding the, the sort of tensions between the old and the new and um, understanding the um, position of, of what he calls residual um, practices. I really felt this this need to go into that as a way of sort of finding out for myself what was it that made me tick um, and why I was so invested, but also as a as a way to to diversify a little bit. I was actually quite scared at the time that we were just heading into this digital everything, um, and it felt to me really quite important to um, to talk about plurality of, of practices in, in film, just as one respects the plurality of practice in um, in the visual arts. So, you know, not everyone is, is working with um, with the same kind of paint, <laughs> you know, not, not what would a what would a watercolor painter say if someone were to tell them that they're not they can't use watercolor anymore? They have to use this this different kind of oil paint, and um, or what would a, a painter using actual um, paint say if if someone um, told them that they had to work digitally that you know they couldn't use physical paints anymore? So it felt I started to use those analogies quite a lot, and I, I'm you know I'm definitely not alone. In, in drawing on those analogies. So it was that, it, it, you know, the book evolved over, over many years and actually I, um, I had a break from writing it because I, I felt quite exhausted from um, the defending film against people that, that accused it of photochemical filmmakers of, of being nostalgic and fetishistic. And I, I got really, really exhausted um, from that discourse and I actually did a little bit of a sort of academic holiday and was writing about different things. <laughs> I was writing about dance film and intermediality and and then um, I found myself discovering a whole new field of theory that gave me a completely different angle and a different way to argue the, the relevance and value of this kind of filmmaking. In the book you talk about materialistic filmmaking um, and I, th I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about film how would you describe that practice as a concept and I know you've mentioned some examples in the book as well I think my take on materialist film it, it's really talking about films that are um, well first of all I, I know that materialist film uh, can also refer to um, digital film but my understanding, the way that I talk about film is um, about materialist film is it's in relation to photochemical film. But um, I'm I'm interested in not just films that are made on film. I mean that would be that would be a very different book. So it's not just about filmmakers that that are working on film, although you know that is 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 kind of of general interest to me. What's really interesting for me is um, those filmmakers that are drawing attention to the different um, processes and um, practices, procedures of, of working with photochemical film and where those processes are visible in the work itself. So my, my starting point 
is in a way um, the work that was coming out of the London Filmmakers Co-op and the theorization of that work by um, Peter Goodall. I mean, I know that, um, and I go back a little bit further in history in, in that book, I'm not, my sort of reference point isn't just Peter Goodall. Um, I'm, I'm interested in sort of materiality as a concept, um, as much as um, materialist film, and I think that, comes through in the book that it gradually opens out to a, a broader understanding of, of, of materiality. So I'm trying to sort of tie my interest in, in materiality um, as a broad concept with the the more specific practices of, you know, drawing attention to the, the material substrate of the, of the film strip. So it's about filmmakers that are interested in, in um, intervening on the surface of the film strip, changing the, the physical um, makeup of the film strip and, and using um, techniques that um, are really invested in um, exploring and, um, and reinventing the, uh, the, the terms of um, photochemical film. You know, what, what film as a physical medium can do um, and how it can create different different feelings, um, different uh, kinds of experiences, how it can elicit um, different sensuous responses, um, and how it can pick up on actually quite complex philosophical issues. So yeah, it's quite... The, my understanding of materialist film, I think it's clear in the book, goes much further than um, than the way it was theorised by Peter Goodall. I mean, you know, Peter Goodall probably um, wouldn't be a, a fan of the uh, of the ideas that I put forward, but you know, I essentially I was inspired by Goodall's theory. So even though I I um, I critique it. And I say that, you know, I'm arguing for a, a, a more, um, a broader and more expansive understanding of materialist film. It, he, he remains my starting point. And so those, those theories, are, his theory is, is really, really important to me as a, as a kind of springboard. What I always wanted to do was um, create a kind of new theory of materialist film, because what I realised was that we have Peter Goodall and this very important piece of writing, Theory and De Definition of Structural Materialist Film from 1975. And then, you know, there's been no real um, updated discussion of materialist film or not one that was satisfactory for me in any case. I hadn't come across an account of a materialist film in a contemporary context that I felt really um, talked about the relevance in, 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 a con in a contemporary era. So Goodall is talking about a particular kind of politics at a particular time, you know, in the 1970s. And I really wanted to come up with a theory that would relate that to the politics of our era and the questions that we're dealing with now. So, yeah, I think that's um, that's the, the main thrust of the book. One section of the book that I found um, particularly enjoyable, um, and actually you, you mentioned earlier that you don't see yourself as a filmmaker, but I love the fact that you shared your experience of attending the Film Farm Independent Image Retreat in Canada. So a, a, a retreat that focuses on true 
artisan, hand processing and filmmaking. And you hadn't shot a film until this point, is that right? Before you arrived at this retreat? My background is actually... Um... Well, I say my education is is um, is a little bit more practical than it is now. So, when I graduated from university, I actually taught filmmaking for a few years um, in colleges and and a couple of universities. But that was back, you know, when when sort of media colleges were using like um, video tape, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like. Um, these kind of big cumbersome cameras and um, I was just using what I'd learned in my own education and, and passing that on. I'd never, I'd never had any aspiration to become a filmmaker. Never in, in, in my past has that sort of, you know, been a, a desire of mine. Yeah, it's actually a long time since I'd done any filmmaking of, of my own. And um, so to put myself in that situation, although over the past few years, being involved in in various different collectives and um, running workshops on film, I've taken part quite a lot. So, you know, I can't remember how many Bolex workshops I've attended or, you know, hand processing um, through people that I've invited to my university in Aberystwyth and then also attending workshops in Nowhere uh and you know being part of beef bristol experimental and expanded film you know we we used to run quite a lot of workshops there so so i've done filming but i've never really done it with the intention of of producing a piece of work so that was yeah that was my first time on a a sort of filmmaking retreat so you find yourself in 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 canada um and and you you talk really openly about this kind of successes and the failures of the of the process of in, you know engaging with the other filmmakers and and then learning to to use a bolex with film in it um how it feels in your hands the mechanics um trying out different lenses so was that a, an opportunity that you you embraced you know to actually to shoot the film and to hand process the film and then to show the film to the other people on the retreat? It was always for me a research trip, um, but it was Phil Hoffman actually that said to me, so Phil and his team uh, came to Aberystwyth University in May of last year and they did a, a, a sort of mini film farm with um, eight, eight of our students. I was already booked on, I think I was, I was booked on to the, to the retreat and or perhaps it was prior to that anyway um phil said to me why don't you just do the workshop so originally i think i was um i'd asked phil if i could just go um spend some time there watch how things happened document the the retreat and he said it doesn't really work like that i think you should just do it i think you should just come on be a participant just do the retreat and then so that became super exciting for me so it it was no longer just a, a, a research trip. It was me actually taking part and, and doing this thing and plunging into that, that field of, of practice. And I found it super exposing, actually, as, a, as an academic. Um, it opened up all kinds of um, insecurities for me uh, and anxieties. Some of them come through in the book 
it evolved from um, um, a research trip to um, speaking about the film farm from a, an actual subjective perspective. Phil was right, it never would have worked as a simply subjective uh, observation and that ended up working really well. How else would I have got um, such an intimate understanding of, of how that retreat works? And the, the film you made, is it in a tin and a shelf or, or, is, it, or is it something that, that other people get to see now and again? The film I made or the, the bits of film that I made or the, you know, film in the making is, um, is sitting in a, in a room in Aberystwyth University because we're in the process of, um, of creating um, two, two dark rooms specifically for photochemical film use. And um, so there was, I was working on it and then um, the pandemic hit and I came back um, home and I wasn't in the university for about six months. And in that time, all of the contents of that room that I was working in got moved into another room and they got completely sort of um, refurbished. So I'm hoping to, to be reunited with that film at some point because it always was my intention after I'd finished the book to allow myself a, a little bit of time to, to really engage with... Um, with the equipment that we've got there, you know, we have a, a JK optical printer um, and that's a really special piece of kit that I really wanted to go into. Um, and I, I always had the idea that the film that I'd made uh, with, with Phil and his team would be reworked in the lab in Aberystwyth. It's not a finished film and it probably might not be for some time, but it's definitely um, a film in the making. Yeah, I I was in my thirties um, before I developed a, a passion for experimental film. So studying it formally was never going to be an option for me. And um, as a lecturer in you know experimental film at the university and and working with your your students. I looked at some of the course content and I thought, oh, I'd love to do that, or I'd really like to to, to go in that course. But of course, um, uh, for for me, it's too late. But with with your students, where do you start with them uh, to kind of give them that that grounding and that 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 kind of rich history of of experimental film? So I run this module called Experimental Cinema, and I've I've been doing it um, pretty much since I I started at Aberystwyth, and it's it's really evolved over um, those years into into something that I feel um, really confident with, and I I pretty much know that with every cohort that come on to the to the module that I'm going to be taking them on a journey, and so I've always used that um, framing to tell the students that I'm not really interested if they um, remember dates or names or facts. I don't even really care if they uh, like the films. Uh, many students don't get on so well with some of the uh, material, but what I want for them is to is to have an experience and to, you know, go on a journey with me. And so I start by, by I have this concept that I, I talk to them about, which is the, the toolbox. So we have particular tools for, for um, working with conventional cinema. And most people have this particular toolbox. But when we come to um, experimental film, we realise that the tools that we've got, they just don't work. 
And so that leads to a sense of sort of dissatisfaction or frustration or disorientation. The journey over the 10 weeks of the module is actually about building up the tools that we need to um, be able to confront any sort of film. And, and so I say to them that by the end of the module, they should be in a position where they can deal with anything. And I think that I think most students really get on board with that idea and it, it helps them to know that, that they don't have to understand it. I think so many students get caught up with this uh, feeling that they have to get it or understand it or make sense of it. And I just try to, to kind of throw that out immediately. And, you know, also the I, I try to get them to see that what's important is that they take what they learn from those films out into the real world that experimental cinema for me is not just a field of um it's not a it's not just a field of practice it's not just a a, a minority um area of film production it's actually a um it's a it's a it's a kind of ethos it's a mindset it's a way of life and it's a it's a way of sort of positioning ourselves uh, differently in the world and, and you know, being being open to, to difference, to otherness. So all of these things kind of make up the, the journey that I'm taking them on and it, I think it makes them less anxious about their um, interactions with the works because I really want them to say, I don't, I don't like this, I don't, um, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't, and I go, great, all right, let's start from that. Um, what is it that you're feeling? I, and I, I, I say to them that it's it's very much about sort of shifting the the the, the fo focus from our brains through our bodies. So you know, I do this gesture of like you know, hands from the head past the heart into the stomach, through pushing pushing the experience sort of through, and trying to get away from you know being in our heads. We're like far too much in our heads. We gotta embrace like the the physical body. And you know, really open up to to what's going on there. So when students say, "Oh, film made me feel bored. I was falling asleep," they apologise. I go, "Don't apologise. That's part of the experience. What was going on? You know, boredom is something that we that it's a valuable response and it deserves attention. So rather than just like, "Oh, that bored, fell asleep," you know, move on. No, what what was going on in your body then? What what was it about the film that, that made you feel like that? And um, perhaps we can explore boredom as a as simply a kind of, you know, result of preconditioned ways of, of, of being and, and responding to the world. No, that, that sounds amazing and I'm even more envious now. Um, I, I learn a lot about experimental film by doing this, for example. So talking to people and asking questions that I wouldn't dare ask in an auditorium Q&A for the, the the risk of feeling foolish. Um, and I'll probably spend the next um, few months digging into a lot of the films and filmmakers that, that you, you reference in your, your, your book as well. So what, what is your advice to anyone as curious as I am about experimental film, but just too old um, for university? It's a really good time now. There's a lot of books coming out. Um, there's a, a lot of sort of survey books, but then also um, books that are looking at the contemporary moment. Um, so, you know, there's my book, there's Jonathan Wally's book on expanded cinema, there's um, Greg Zinman's book, um, Making Images Move. There's also um, a book by Eric Balsam, 
I think it's an edited book by, I haven't read it yet, by Erica Balsam and Lucy Reynolds and, and Sarah Perks, Artist Moving Image in Britain since 1989. And then there's also Lucy Reynolds's book, Women Artists, Feminism and the Moving Image. And David Curtis has also just released a book about the Arts Lab. Nikki Hamlin and, and Vicky Smith um, have written a book, uh, sorry, co-edited a book a couple of years ago, um, Experimental and Expanded Animation, that's in the same series as, as my book. So it's a really, really rich and vibrant time for um, experimental film scholarship. So I think this is probably like the best time to be diving into to experimental film. I don't think one needs to go to university. I certainly didn't. I didn't learn about experimental cinema through um, a, a university education. I, I, I learned about film more generally, but most of my studies, um, in fact, you know, very, very kind of little of my studies were, were focused on experimental film. What I what I learned about experimental film, I just picked up from from books and screenings and, and other people just having a sort of passion and a, and a curiosity. So I think the interest, the passion um, and a curiosity and a, and a desire to to um, explore and discover, I think that's that's more important than going to university. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that. And we will put a link to your book and all the other books that you've just mentioned on our website so people can um, get them on their uh, their wish list. Um, Kim, it's been, uh, it's been fascinating to uh, chat with you today and um, to, to dig into your, your book. Um, thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you. And you'll find information on Kim's book, Experimental Film and Photochemical Practices, on our website at intothemothlight.com. Until next time, goodbye. Into the Moth Light.